0: Well, if you would, turn to Exodus 18, and again, as I was saying, we've got that uh, survey, so we would value your feedback on that. Uh, we take that seriously. We're here for you, and so if there's areas that you would like us to explore, uh, we, we certainly want to do that. Well, we've been journeying the journey to God, as it's sometimes called, as the Israelites are wandering from the time that the Red Sea was parted until we get to Mount Horeb. To, to Sinai, and we've been focusing on the Israelites, right? <clears throat> They're the ones with the problem when it comes to water and food, and interestingly now, it's going to center upon Moses, <laughs> which is intriguing, And though certainly there's been some training for Moses as well in the process, but good morning, good morning. Hey, Edgar, good to see you. Come right on in, grab some coffee, it's good to see you. I had a professor who'd make you pray if you came in late, but I won't do that, So, or quote scripture. So Jesus wept. There it is. All right. So Exodus 18, we're going to start in verse 13, just to give you a backdrop, because we're jumping into the middle of chapter 18. Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, arrives, and they have this reunion, because Jethro brings Zipporah, Moses' wife and children, who've been Stashed away during this whole process, so they've been brought back into the equation. And remember, uh, can you tell me the ethnicity of Jethro? Is he Jewish? No, he's a Midianite, right? <gasps> yes. We'll deal with the Midianites later in our journey, but um, he's he's a non-Jew. And yet, we're told that he's a priest. He worships Yahweh. We see that, so that's intriguing. In verse thirteen, and on the next day. Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that was going on with the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why are you sitting by yourself and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very direct. It's like, what in the world are you doing, Moses, is, is literally how it should read. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people came to me to inquire of God when they have a matter, they came to me and I decide between a man and his neighbor, and I make known the decrees of God and the laws. So not only has the Israelites grumbled against God, it appears that they're grumbling against one another as well, uh, though they, there, they also have issues to to uh from the lord and and other disputes etc then moses father-in-law said to him the things you're doing is not good (laughs) who asked the father-in-law right you expect this to be the mother-in-law but anyway i'm sure she's saying something behind the scenes you will surely wear out both you and the people who are with you for this is too heavy for you You're not able to do it by yourself. Now listen to me. I will give you some advice, (laughs) unsolicited, and may God be with you. You be the people, a representative to God. Uh, Literally, it's you be in front of God. And bring their disputes to God and warn them of the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they should walk and the work they must do. But choose from the people capable men, God fears, men of truth, those who hate bribes and put them over the people as rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. they will judge the people all the time and every great issue they will bring to you and every small issue they themselves will judge and you may make it easier for yourself there's the reason why, right? And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will be able to go in their place satisfied. So Moses listened to his father-in-law, did all that he said, and Moses chose capable men from all Israel and he made them heads over the people rulers over thousands rulers over hundreds etc and verse 26 they judged the people at all times the different difficult matters they'd bring to Moses verse 27 Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and so he went to his own land i mentioned there in that opening paragraph <laughs> the the Egyptians were overwhelmed with the water from the Red Sea, and you might say that Moses is a little bit overwhelmed with the sea of of uh, responsibility. You know, uh, Moses, he, he learned how to tend sheep. <laughs> That's the last time Jethro saw him was he was tending flocks, and now he has a responsibility for an entire nation. And there's a real issue with delegation here, isn't and so we need another deliverance, so to speak. In your notes, in this opening section, as we look at Moses' his responsibility, he's serving as judge. And it's intriguing because in the previous chapter, you had Aaron and you had Ur and you even had Joshua coming to the aid of Moses and leading, et cetera, right? Now all eyes are solely on Moses. And you're asking, where's all the help? Why are you doing this? And we see uh, He is alone in the task. This is mentioned there, obviously, in the notes several times. It's highlighted. And secondly, we're told it's never-ending. I mentioned there, from morning until evening indicates it's an all-day process. (laughs) You can imagine, right? Uh, The responsibility has, and as I mentioned, the Israelites, uh, they don't have just an issue with God, (laughs) obviously. The problem is spilling over in how they're interacting with one another. And some of it's just uh, sheer logistics, right? You know, um, you took my manna. That's my manna. No, I don't know. We don't know what the issues are, but you got the idea, right? Um, Jethro's words are very strong. And as I mentioned there in your notes, it's literally Moses, what on earth do you think you're doing? And the next two questions that we see, spell that out. Look at verse 14. Let's go back and let's look at this. It says, what are you doing for the people? And then what's the issue? Notice the next two questions. Why are you sitting for yourself and all these people are staying around? There's two issues. You're doing this all alone and all these people are waiting for hours on end to have a decision made by you. You can't handle this. This is ridiculous. It's interesting, Moses responds, he says, I'm performing two important works. One is I'm instructing the people about the word, and I'm also discerning God's will for them. So I'm representing them to God, and and I'm representing God to the people. And that's why you see the phrase in front of, to inquire, Uh, that's used of prophets and kings throughout the Hebrew scriptures, that they go and they represent God. And so that's what you see taking place here. I mentioned in your notes, and maybe I'm reading into the text too much, so you, you can challenge me on this one. But did you notice verse 15 and verses verses 15 and 16? Notice how many times the personal pronoun appears. Did you catch that? He says, Because you came to me to inquire of God when they have a matter, they come to me, and I decide and I make known the decrees. Four times he uses the personal pronoun. I don't want to read too much into it, but I think Moses got a little bit of a problem with the... Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, so he just has a messianic complex. <laughs> that is, uh, you know, I, I had a colleague who would often tell me, you are not Jesus. <laughs> you, you don't need to handle all the issues, and even Jesus didn't. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, there always will be needs, right? Those of you in ministry, you know full well uh we're always going to have problems to deal with and you have got to put up some boundaries healthy boundaries so the flip side is there's a little bit of arrogance you could argue with moses i I can take care of this move you know move out of the way that'd be the negative side the other side would be simply he's just not well trained as a leader and hasn't thought through all the logistics either way we got a problem and either way, Moses' attention is on himself and the role he plays in this. Questions or comments? You may disagree with me. Yeah, yeah he Gary. Down as, as yeah, I. It it does appear even in the previous chapters that the people are going to to, to Moses to resolve the issue. So. Uh, but you're right. Now he's, we see him doing something, and it's it's too much. <laughs> uh, Jethro's going to point that out. Yeah, Denny. Maybe he's responding strongly to his father in law, too. His eye came out in that response to his father in law. Well, there's certainly a possibility of Moses trying to impress his father in law. Look what I've done. You know, I've come a long way, baby, right? From Bobos to. Dingbats, I don't know, that I'm dealing with, but I'm now in charge and look how I've done this. Yeah, there could be that aspect. Yes. This is, this is something that's a, uh, not a temptation. This kind of naturally happens to people in leadership. This happened to me. You think well, all of a sudden, just because these things all happen, you're more important than you really are. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to be humble. You're <clears throat> the Lord does not need us, <laughs> He doesn't need our churches. To accomplish his will. Yeah. I think of Luke chapter 10 with Mary and Martha. You know, Martha is the hostess with the most. She's doing it. I mean, she's the Martha steward of the day. And, and, and what she's doing is not wrong. In fact, that's was expected of women, uh, you know, to be in the kitchen, right? Uh, don't repeat that. Uh, but that's the case. Uh, and yet God takes her out and spanks her. says, you've missed it? Right? I think I've mentioned before, Martha's concerned about the chaos in the family room, or in the kitchen, and the creator of the universe is reclining in her family room. <laughs> Just go basket his feet like your sister, Martha. But yeah, uh, there's some things to to learn here. Uh, Ryken, in his commentary, this is under verses 17 and 18 of your notes. Moses was exercising such an important ministry, the explanation and application of God's word. I mean, he is caught up in it. Woo! Right? That one might have expected his in laws to be impressed. After all, until now, the only thing Jethro had ever seen him do was tend sheep. Now, Moses was the prophet for a nation. He's the voice of God, right? The most important man in Israel. He had people clamoring for his attention all day long. I mean, look at, they're dependent on me. Without me, where would they be? You can hear all this, right? And Jethro. It's very surprising in his words. Again, verse 17, look at this. He says, the thing you're doing is not good. And it's very emphatic and strong in the Hebrew. So this isn't, he's not being nicey-nicey. He's saying, you're, you're, this is a disaster. What in the world? So Jethro comes and first of all, he recognizes the, he immediately sees through the issues. You got a real problem. Don't you wonder where Aaron is? Why didn't Aaron point this out? And, and remember, he was the voice. He was the voice box, and you got Moses. To, you know, where, where's Aaron in this? Now, Joshua, he'd just take up a sword and kill him. But, you know, where's Aaron, right? <clears throat> and, and, and so at the bottom of your notes, I mentioned that Jethro uh, sees that Moses' failure to, to, to delegate is affecting not only Moses himself, but also the people. That's why they're standing around, etc. cetera. And in fact, he says to Moses, you're going to wear out, which is a great Hebrew term. And I mentioned this at the top of page two of your notes. It means to fall and fade as a leaf. Uh, Elsewhere, it's used more of a a metaphorical sense to lose heart, to lose courage. In fact, he says this is heavy, which is the same term used in chapter 17 when uh, Moses' arms, remember, they were heavy and he needed assistance. He needs assistance again. Right, you're missing it. It's too heavy. And so Jethro says, "This is your problem," and anyone can diagnose a problem, <laughs> but Jethro also has a solution. Right? I had a chair who used to say, "Anyone can tear down a barn. Not everyone can build one." All right. Well, Jethro can build one. He's got some recommendation. First of all, though, I want you to see he's quick to notice the importance of Moses' role with the people. He's not trying to undermine his leadership, which I really appreciate if you look at that. In fact, in your notes, it's interesting. If you look at what Jethro highlights are Moses' roles, they're the same that Moses just highlighted in verses 15 and 16. See this in your notes, those three points under 19 through 20? You bring disputes from the people, you warn the people of God's regulations, and you make known God's will. So Jethro says, yeah. Your, the three things you highlighted, I'm also going to highlight. Those are great. And, and he's not trying to undermine his, his leadership. In fact, he says elsewhere, when there's a serious problem, verse 22, they'll still come to you, Moses, but you can't deal with all the, you know, how much manna do you put in this basket? That's not an issue for you. You don't need to be dealing with that. And, and, and certainly elsewhere, even after all these arrangements we see in the, the Pentateuch, Moses handling some of the bigger issues, such as, and I mentioned there in your notes, how to handle a blasphemer, you know, or an issue related to the Sabbath. What do you do with this? Those are the big issues, Moses, you need to be handling, not this little stuff. And and look what Jethro says uh, in verse 20. And warn them of the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they must go or the way they should walk. It's interesting that term is uh, used in the New Testament. Uh, there's a Greek word that we use, uh, parapateo. It means to, to, to go, to walk, literally, but it can also be used figuratively. And as I mentioned there in your notes, walk is often used in relationship to the believer's path in godliness. We are to walk in the ways of the Lord, right? Um, the Lord is a good shepherd. He leads me the paths, it's plural. And what we love to do when we take groups down through um, the wilderness area is you'll, you'll see the mountainsides and you'll see all these little paths on the hillside because the sheep take various paths as they walk through. It's not just one because uh, we are each individuals, yet God guides us as we go along. We each have different paths. And so Jethro says, Listen, you are still the representative of God, but. We've got to break this down. And so there, I mentioned this in that paragraph, the reconstructing of leadership model permits Moses to continue to lead and for the people of God to flourish. He does not seek to remove Moses' calling. In fact, he's seeking to enhance his calling, right? That we need to do this differently. Like Jason was with these lawyers in Rwanda. Uh, let's, Let's think through how you can be most effective and efficient in a system that God has placed you in. And so there's Jethro's counsel. And then we see there's a recommendation. And this is where he says, here's how it needs to be done. What does he say? Look at verse 21. <clears throat> what is Moses supposed to do? Help me out. What does Moses re- requirement? Or what does Jethro say he should do? Kyle, what do you see in the text? You're looking at me. Oh, I caught you. All. I'm sorry, Kyle. I thought you were going to speak. All right. Give that guy some more coffee. All right. Well, <clears throat> you're right, Kyle. Uh, he's going to select some men, uh, right? Uh, he, the, the Lord is, or Jethro has told Moses, you, you got to select some men. And notice the characteristics of these, these men that he needs to, to appoint. Number one, they have to be capable men. Makes sense. But... Uh, um, <laughs> my colleague often says, uh, don't have a church that has a pity staff. <laughs> don't hire people simply because you feel sorry for them. Uh, they, they need to be capable and able to do what they need to do. Uh, I, I love the line. And that's exactly what Jethro says. You need capable men. As I mentioned from the net notes, it says the word describes these men as respectful, influential, powerful people, those who have the needs of the community in mind. You know what I'm talking about. All right. You see them, uh, whether it's in the church or it's in a, a parachurch ministry or, or in the local church. All right, There's individuals who rise to the, the surface. They can deliver, and that's the kind of people you want. But they can't just be gifted. They also need to be God-fears. <laughs> uh, they need to be spiritually in tune with the things of the Lord, and, and they need to be devout and obedient. All right. So that's key. It's interesting Jethro is picking all this up. Remember, he's a non-Jew. Uh, he's not part of the Israelite camp, but he understands the importance. Not only that, but they must be truthful. Uh, they're going to be judging. <laughs> the worst thing is you could have a, a lawyer on your no uh, staff. you got to have someone who is truthful and honest, right? <clears throat> and then finally, they have to hate bribes, which again, fits with the role they're going to be playing. So... Um, and I mentioned there, they hate, their hate entails the rejection of any unjust gain. So Jethro says, you've got to appoint some people. This is the solution. You must delegate, is the term we use today, right? You can't keep this up. Well, <clears throat> as you can see in verse 24, the enigmatic phrase, listen to the voice of, indicates obedience that Moses does just what Jethro has commanded, right? I got a question for you this is the wrong Jethro. Those of you know the Beverly Hillbillies, I'm showing my age, but oh well. Uh, Why do you think the Lord used Jethro to reveal his will? Why didn't the Lord just pull Moses aside and say, you bozo, there is no way you're going to do this on your own. Here's how we need to handle this. Why do you think he uses Jethro? A non-Jew. Relational capital? There's no right answer here. In fact, uh, uh, one leading commentator says, I have no idea why God used Jethro. All right, so if he can say that, uh, I I think there's certainly a relationship here. What else? Yeah. I think it offers humility and and allows uh, him to become humble. Hmm. And later, Moses will be known as a man of humility. That Moses responds the way he does is pretty incredible. Because there's a lot of men who would have said, "Uh, no thank you, <laughs> you don't know what I've been through, right? Uh, you're an outsider, and you're my father-in-law. But there's certainly you a relationship. There's certainly a relationship, but I mean, Jethro didn't walk, Through the Ten Plagues. He didn't walk through the Red Sea. So, you know, I could see him saying, you know, I can pull water out of a rock, Jethro, right? Yeah. It also illustrates uh, the racial capital of of the family. I thought his father in (coughs) law said that his father in law took their interest in art. So, you know, unlike some of the relationships in David's family, this was fairly healthy interaction. Good. Yes. (coughs) I've thought of that. that there could be, uh, this could reinforce the pride that, once again, God's talked to me directly about this issue. And yet God's going to say, I'm going to little teach a little humble pie. Yes, Bill. I think with the concept of iron sharp desire. I like that. It's interesting that God, uh, that Jethro who's a non-Israelite, is in tune with truths from Scripture and, and, and the principles that work. We're going to look at that in a minute, but yes. Good. Sharpening iron. How, how do you know when someone's <coughs> instruction is of God? In other words, <coughs> it makes sense. But just because it's generally giving him that instruction doesn't necessarily mean it's right. True. So uh, True. There, there, and there would be an assessment of that, though Jethro mentions, did you catch this several times as the Lord commands? Did you catch that? Several times Jethro says, this is what God has instructed. So Jethro is saying, this, this is truth from God himself. Yeah. You know, it's, no is about hmm. That's right. No, no leader is without uh, accountability and, and responsibility. It's interesting, there's been some study of comparing Jethro to Melchizedek and the whole scene with Abraham. There is some connection. Remember Melchizedek, this non Jew as well, a high priest of God uh, and king of Salem, which is later Jerusalem, comes out and, and, and the whole scene with Abraham. Uh, the earlier in eighteen, you see again a sacrifice being made to God, and going and and so in many ways Jethro functions like a Melchizedek. It's an interesting study uh, in the text. Well, any other? I don't want to cut it short on that. Uh, yeah, Paul. I wonder, was this an opportunity for God to help Jethro to understand so that he can go back and teach the Word of God to his population as well? Too? It could be. Uh, there's certainly some leadership experience that Jethro has gleaned, and that he can give this to his son in law, Moses. He said Jethro had a lot of daughters, so certainly he knew leadership skills. Uh, Could be. I won't go there. Uh, Page three of the notes. Let me highlight a few things for us as we look at this. The so what, right? I'm not back in this time frame, and my father-in-law is not unwise, so what am I supposed to do with all this, right? Uh, I, I think we can tease out several principles for leadership, godly leadership, that I just want to leave you this morning to think about. And what I've done, uh, I've also included a quote from a secular work, because there's wisdom to be found. All truth is God's truth, right? Uh, the truth which is not found in the scriptures, obviously, we want to filter through here, but two plus two equals four, normally, right? Uh, God has revealed himself in a variety of ways. But it's it's ultimately, everything must be held accountable to the text. But first here I mentioned is a godly leader is humble. Uh, and some of us are not in a formal role of leadership, but you're expected to lead, whether it's in the home, you know, uh, and you may not have the title of leader, but you're still leading, whether it's in the church or at work, etc. cetera. People are looking to you. This entails a realistic view of oneself and a willingness to listen Look at 1 Peter 5, just just briefly. 1 Peter 5. As he speaks to both men, younger men and older men. And remember, this is Peter, who has the foot and mouth disease, right? This is the guy who, who, you know, boldly goes where no man's gone before. And yet he's he's been tempered he's been mellowed and he says in first peter 5 5 in the same way you who are younger be subject to the elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because god opposes the proud and god will exalt in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand by the way how do you do that this is beautiful the participle of means, the next verse, by casting all your cares on him. Allow him to take charge. The problem with Moses, in one sense, is he's trying to do it all on his own. You kind of wonder, Moses, why didn't you run to the Lord and say, God, I've got a huge mess on my hands. But the problem often with ministry is you get so caught up in it, and maybe it's just me, but you get caught up in it so much, and you you just get so busy that you forget to, sometimes you can forget to turn to the Lord, and that's the issue with Martha. In Luke 10, isn't it? And interesting in Luke 10 is that the, the rich young ruler comes. And says, what's the? What's the? And you know, I've kept all the commandments, and now interchange. And, and the Lord says, "What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself." And the rich young ruler says, "I have no problem loving God." <laughs> and and so Jesus illustrates the second part of that great commandment with the Good Samaritan parable. You know that one. But then. After the Good Samaritan is the whole scene with Martha and Mary. And that illustrates the first part of the great command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the whole issue. How do we humble ourselves to where God allow him to lead? Let him be in charge. And and I love that he addresses younger people as well. I've I'd like to take back some things that I've done when I was younger, I thought, oh my, I had some gracious older men who who loved me and and let me flap my jaws a little bit and oh that's just David he'll grow up. Jim Collins is one of my favorite authors many of you've read books by him he's a best-selling author in his little book How the Mighty Fall he gives five stages uh, to which you see the decline of a company fifth stage it's dead but the first stage of the decline in which they found in their studies is hubris is pride Uh, He says, the first phase entails arrogance. He writes, instead of acknowledging that luck and uh, we would say the Lord's hand, all right, uh, that these events might have played a helpful role, people begin to presume that success is due entirely to the superior qualities of the enterprise and its leadership. It's the first phase of death for a company. I'd say it's the first phase of death for many leaders in the Christian life as well. When you start believing your own press, Howard Henriks used to say when you you stand at the door and and people are leaving the church and they're saying, that's a great pastor, love the sermon. He called it the glorification of the worm. (laughs) And that's exactly what it is. It's not about us, it's about the Lord. Stott, down at the bottom of your notes, John Stott says, the chief occupational hazard of leadership is pride, right? Moses still has some rough edges, we got some more things to do. God will directly speak to Moses in two chapters from now on Mount Horeb when he gives the Ten Commandments, et cetera, right? He is going to do that. But we still got some lessons, Moses, before we get there. And I'm going to take a non Jew, a Midianite, and inform you how you are to lead because you're missing the boat. Secondly, let me give you another here with godly leadership. A godly leader recognizes the importance of delegating to others. It seems to be a no-brainer, but is willing to share the responsibility of leading. Sometimes that's pride. Other times it's just incompetency. (laughs) But but we need those around us. Romans 12, look at this text. It's interesting, Paul's waxing eloquent on his theology in chapters 1 through 11. He deals with doctrine, and then from the end of the book, from 12 onward, he deals with duty, the responsibility, the so what. And he says in verse 3, for by grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of yourself. Verse 4, for just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. We all have different gifts. Isn't that the beauty of the body of Christ? I look across this room. There's a ton of talent, gifts, abilities, and very diverse, and that's exciting. And that's, that's the body of Christ. Interesting, Michael Beer in his book on high commitment, high performance. Any of you have read that book? It's a great work. He states, many studies, too many to cite here, have proven that participation improved quality of decision, performance, employee satisfaction, commitment, as well as cohesion and community. And we've all served in organizations where you have a dictator at the top, and they're too good to listen to anybody else, and that's dangerous. And, and Moses was willing to listen to Jethro and say, listen, there's, Moses, there's capable people right here in your midst. Let's don't forget Aaron and Ur. Ur, by the way, becomes a judge later. So you've got people all around you that can serve. Use them, right? I think one of the greatest problems in the church today is we just don't ask people to serve. Call them up. You'd be shocked how many people are willing to serve. It's just no one's ever asked them. And they're just assuming, well, you know, they got it all together and, you know. But just... Hey, we need, we, you know, and not, not from the pulpit. We need people to serve. No, 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 no. Give them a call. Would you be willing to handle the second graders this week? I think you'll be surprised what people will do. <clears throat> Third, here's another. I'm starting to preach. I'll move on. A God leader understands the importance of saying no. One of the most profound texts in all of the Gospels is found in Luke's Uh, narrative. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Every time I read this, I fall out of my chair. It's amazing. The Lord's on earth, God incarnate, healing everyone, miracles everywhere. It's dynamite. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, after all these miracles, watch what it says, but the news about him spread even more, and large crowds were gathering together to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. And Jesus did it. No, It says, yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and watched and prayed. There were tons of ministries, things that needed to be done. And what does he do? He didn't heal everybody. And I love it. I had one prophet who always said, if Jesus needed to pray the Son of Man, how much more we? Right? And it, I don't know about you being a little obsessive-compulsive type A personality. Um, I, I just want to get in and do it. Let's get it done. Boom. And no, no, no. I need to sit and think about, pray about what we're doing here. Part of The problem with Moses is burnout, but also he's not having time with the Lord, etc., you say, well, he's before the Lord. every No, no, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> um, he needs some time, some quiet time. There is a great little book written by Hopper and Hopper, and they look at the Puritan gift. They look at the Puritan influence on the work ethic, the economy in America. They are not Americans. It's a spectacular work, and at the end, they give the uh, the major principles that they glean. But reclaiming the American dream amidst global financial chaos, they argue that one of the underlying good practices from the golden age of management, which stems from the Puritan movement, was that leadership, as far as possible, to be collective or collegiate. In other words, a leader understands he cannot do this all on his own. There is a time to say no, right? David, you're in the... The ministry full time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Allowing others I mentioned here a skilled leader knows how to set appropriate boundaries which create a balance with God. Family. It's amazing how many ministers end up in a divorce. Work and life decisions. And and that's what Jethro's saying to Moses, <laughs> you, this is too heavy. You, you've got to set up some boundaries here. Time with the Lord, time with your family. You can't do this. Now, we go the other extreme as well, <laughs> can't we? But a godly leader knows when to say no. And then one more for us. A godly leader safeguards his relationship with the Lord. This is first and foremost. <clears throat> like Moses, like Martha, It's so easy to get caught up in the doing that we forget why we were doing it. And what we're doing is commendable. It's biblical. The problem is it distracts and it begins to eclipse our relationship with the Lord. Psalm 111. I want you to see this. Psalm 111, verse 10 To obey the Lord is the fundamental principle for wise living. All who carry out his precepts acquire good moral insight. How does a non-Jew, prior to the establishment of the Mosaic Law, have such insight on leadership? Because he's a priest of God. And God has given him moral insight. One of the prayers for my children is that God would grant them wisdom beyond their youth. (laughs) Lord, may my children be very wise. That's a prayer I challenge you for, not only our children, but for ourselves. And how does wisdom come according to Psalm 111? It's someone who is obedient to the Lord, who's in the word, who's bathing it in prayer, etc., And I realize we could go on and on about other characteristics of godly leadership. But as we look at Exodus 18, four come quickly to mind. First of all, he's humble. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. God does not need Hafidids, He does not need you to establish his work here on this earth. was involved with an institution that was, in my opinion, not going the right direction. And things unraveled. And many of us lost our positions. And one of my colleagues said, God does not need bricks and mortar to accomplish His work. That was a good reminder. Because at the moment, all seemed to be lost. No, uh, uh, we're recognizing our dependence on Him. And Moses, again, it's interesting, using the personal pronoun four times, mm-hmm. it's not about you, Moses, it's about the Lord. Secondly, a godly leader recognizes the uh, importance of delegating. A godly leader understands the importance of learning to say no. And then finally, safeguards his relationship with the Lord. I hope these are valuable lessons. Uh, There's, again, some books that I've cited in there that are great. The Puritan Gift is Dynamite. If you want to read something, that's just an interesting view of the influence of Christianity, Protestant Christianity, on America today. Uh, and of course Colin 's works are always spectacular. I love his works let 's pray, Father, we just thank you for your role in our lives. Lord. You are such an incredible God that you would allow us to be used by you that that we can have ministries, whether it 's with Kairos, whether it 's with a particular church or or maybe it 's just in our homes or at the workplace. And, and discipleship, but, but we have an opportunity to be lighthouses for you, and, and we are so grateful. Uh, you did not need us. In fact, it would probably been a lot easier just to send a bunch of angels to do the job, but you've seen fit to use us, and Lord, with ministry comes responsibilities, and this text shows us that uh, we are not lone rangers. <laughs> we need the Tontos. We, we need those around us uh, to help us and we need to continually have on the forefront that this is about you. Martha and Mary are great examples of wh- of what not to do and what to do. May we be found like Mary is constantly in the gospels at your feet worshipping you and praising you. Father be with these men today. Thank you for having the time that they've carved out. I just pray Lord you would bless them mightily in Jesus name. Amen.